Ohio Police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon, this is Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, and the host of the Reasonable Voices talk news radio program. Today, as often you know, I I love film, and my guest today is a film, a screen actor, Donal O'Healy. Welcome to our show. It's a pleasure to talk to you. We've been having such a good time before we even went on air, but first of all, let me tell everyone a bit more about you. You play the artist Otis in Impossible Monsters, which, by the way, won the Panavision New Filmmaker Grant. It's written by and directed by Nathan Catucci, who is a former guest, by the way. Impossible Monsters uh, will have its world premiere at the CineQuest Film Festival in San Jose, California, on Saturday, March 9th, of course, 2019. In Impossible Monsters, an ambitious professor becomes caught up in the murder of a participant in one of his sleep studies. And the line between dreams and reality blurs, and in so doing, our guest today, by the way, Donal O'Healy, is one of those sleep study participants. Again, he plays the role of the artist Otis. So, finally, Welcome to the Reasonable Voices, Donal. How are you? Thank you, Marcello. It's a pleasure to be with you. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you, let me tell you. I always like talking to actors because they talk as much as I do. <laughs> well, listen, you know, I've, I've said some things about you. Uh, you're from Ireland, and you're a graduate of uh, Bow Street Academy for screen acting. You... Um, I think really came to prominence uh, in your because of your performance in Pursuit as the son of Liam Cunningham, Game of Thrones, you might know him from there, kind of launched you to the next level with both film pros and moviegoers. What do you think? Yeah, I was um, fortunate enough, Marcello, to, to work with Liam and uh, on Pursuit a couple of years ago and it was certainly a movie uh, that I really enjoyed working on, and even today, when uh, it still airs back in Ireland, and uh, I still get texts from people saying that your your big head is on screen again tonight. <laughs> so that's always fun. Yes. Um, but I, I am. I'm from the west of Ireland, Marcello, a place called Connemara, which is in County Galway, mm-hmm. and um, I did study at the the Bow Street uh, Screen Academy of Acting and. That really gave me a wonderful foundation um, in this craft and, yeah, learned a lot of valuable tools there that I bring with me into any project that I work on. And I had some amazing coaches there. One teacher in particular, a man called Jerry Grinnell, he was he worked with Heath Ledger on The Dark Knight and he, mm. he's worked with Johnny Depp in Merle Street. And uh, just an amazing philosophy, a very fresh approach to the work and so I'm very grateful for that. Um, and so coming over to the States after, uh, in 2014, after Pursuit and a few other uh, movies that I worked on, it's been great to bring that background with me. And then, yeah, Impossible Monsters has just been 
uh, an extension of that journey, a, a movie that I'm so looking forward to see. And mm. uh, Nate and, and Ben Dadfer, I mean, our, our, our director and cinematographer, just extraordinary people who were, you know, so from the very onset, I remember the audition that I that I uh, had for the movie, Marcello, mm. which was a lot of fun. I just knew that this was something that Nate deeply, deeply cared about. And it was a story that captured my attention. And for me, Marcello, it's always about the story, yes. you know, and that intrigue has to be there. If I'm reading the script and if, if it's, you know, it has to capture it has to capture my attention and uh, and my imagination and certainly this story did so, so yeah very excited now to see it um, at Cinequest it's premiering March 9th so looking forward very much to that screening <laughs> see what I say about actors you've answered my first six questions and I love it I love it <laughs> no it's grand and you know, and and now that our audience has had uh, some uh, peek at your sense of humor, as I did before we started recording, I'd like to say that um, I'll go right to uh, what uh, Nate Catucci uh, uh, told me, the director. That was your Im improvised line that uh, broke up the entire set, and that was um, uh, well. Let me say that. Impossible Monsters is a psychological thriller. I think that's fair but label. And early in the film, Donal's character, Otis, the artist, is told by, a, uh, shall we say, a uh, pompous, perhaps, patron, that he should lose control, to which the actor, Donal, replies, he's wearing all leather. <laughs> and I... I want you to say it hit me and so much that I asked Nate about it when when we, uh, he interviewed with me, and that's when he told me this was this was an improvised line from you that again broke <laughs> up the set, so he kept it. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, sometimes these things manifest and vocalize on set, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But they are. Uh, that seems to have stuck. Um, yeah, well, yes. it was it, it was fun because I think that was my first. Obviously, uh, I had to um, walk around in accent for about four weeks yes. prior to shooting, and I think that was one of the first lines where I was. Uh, I went, we went off script a little bit, and thankfully, it uh, <laughs> it stayed. <laughs> yes. So, well, you know, you play this talented artist that is painter primarily, but you are obviously a talented artist, accents and all, whose work is, but as, as Otis, the artist, your work is struggling. And due to what, Donna? Yeah, so that was something, when I read the breakdown and read the script, Marcello, that was something about this character that uh, it, it, it intrigued me and I certainly identified, you know, I mean, the struggling, tortured artist, if you're in the business of expression, you know what that's like, or at least you've experienced some form of that. And there was just a texture, um, a color, you know, a gray, a murkiness to this yeah. character in that he wasn't the quintessential antagonist. And yet there was this you know, good and bad to his nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that just, it, I identified somewhat with his journey and really just wanted to explore more of his psychology and his character left me very curious. And I think that's for me, I always want to have that curiosity mm -hmm. with the work. Mm -hmm. um, and Otis certainly provided that. Um, and then as a course, you know, you only really get to figure out, usually it's the last day of shooting. That's the day where you finally kind of have sense. pegged. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Um, yeah, yeah, and they say that's a wrap, and you're like, but I was just, yes. I just figured it out. Yes. Um, uh, but, <clears throat> yeah, it, 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 I guess uh, certainly, you know, for all of us, there's a deeper voice that drives our expression, be it mm. through art. I mean, for Otis, his medium was fine art. And um, I'll just say that the, the artist actually who used um, uh, Gwen, her, her work is, it's just, it's throughout the film, and it's so striking. Uh, because I was very curious to see, you know, who's, 
uh, whose work would, would we use to depict Otis's uh-huh. art? Because um, my fine art skills are, they're developing, shall we say, yeah. they're <laughs> in development. But uh, as soon as I saw these paintings, you know, just the visceral a reaction I had to them and I knew like it was such a it was such a meeting and uh, I, I knew that like it just added so much to my trajectory because that's exactly how I saw how you know through Otis's imagination that's yes. that's how we saw the world and I think just when our painter who was working with us she, she did such a wonderful job at capturing uh, this this uh, this man's mind mm-hmm. and so um so yeah, I, I'm like I said with any character, it's a journey, and certainly with Otis, it was this, you know it, the same thing was true. There was there's a a texture to him that drew me from the start. He was like a walking question mark, yes. and uh, like any character I play, Marcello, I just walk around in their shoes mm-hmm. for as long as I can before we start working and try try and try and embody the role as best I can, and then. And then you just hope that, yeah, that the directors <laughs> that you're on the same page yes. when you get to shooting the movie. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm glad you said all of that because it reminds me of something I said to Nate, and that was that the music, the score in Impossible Monsters, is definitely another character that, although we don't see it, we certainly feel it, and we are in many ways carried through the film by it without its I, I don't think as I said to Nate it doesn't dictate our response it just takes us on the journey but since you've been talking about the paintings I think that the the paintings that that is the paintings in uh, Impossible Monsters are are a visual character in the film and how how does that I, I, I guess the it, it's correct to say um, although often used, it, it foreshadows, uh, certainly, what's to come without our knowing it, which is the beauty of foreshadowing. But it, but it certainly gives us insight, as you were saying, into the character of Otis that you play. I guess I have a question in that. Is, it, is, is there a violent nature in the film, a unsettling, undercurrent... Uh, how did, and I think you've already answered this one, how did it affect the actor Donal and how uh, does it define the artist Otis? That's a great question. Um, and that's, uh, I guess there's, there's two questions there. First, how does it define Otis? Yes. Um, you know, initially when we meet these paintings, um, uh, when first time we see these paintings, we really, it's its like you said, it's a foreshadowing of potentially what's to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, like, to me, those paintings are the expression of the subconscious. Uh, and what's exciting and what's interesting about Impossible Monsters is we start to realize that actually that line between the subconscious and the conscious mm-hmm. dreams and reality, uh, we pass through that threshold as the film develops and unfolds. And so... Um, for Otis, I think initially it's, uh, I think that's the journey he goes on. Initially, perhaps he's working through some trauma that he's experienced himself as a child, perhaps. Uh, but as the, the story unfolds, he's actually, uh, processing this trauma in real time. Mm. And so the paintings begin not to be just a reflection of, of a subconscious, but to be, um, actually almost a premonition of what he's actually physically going to do in real time. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, and I think that's captured, uh, very, very delicately and dexterously in, in, in the, in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as, as an actor, you can only pray that you have, uh, such visceral and vivid inspiration as those pieces of fine art like uh, you're always looking for the in Marcello mm-hmm. uh, with your character so any help you can get in that way I grab onto mm-hmm. and so for me those paintings were just um, uh, yeah I mean I still remember I was just dumbfounded and it was uncanny 
as to how close they came to how I imagined it as an actor, yes. what 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 they might look like. Um, and as you mentioned, of course, the music also. I think you know Michael McAllister, the composer, he, he's you know he composed an extraordinary score that really complements the style of the picture um, and the pace of the narrative. It yes. is a psychological thriller, but it, its pacing is is. Uh, it's it's yeah it's i think it again i think nate you know i think they really paced it out um wherein you can fully uh, you can fully appreciate what what you're seeing on screen and yet there's this current of a foreboding of what's to come yes um that that isn't rushed or that isn't contrived and uh yeah so you know uh sometimes it's 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 just nice to see things come together because as you know Marcello when you work on a project there's three films there's the one that they the script there's the one you shoot and then there's the one that's edited and, yeah, that's, and that makes it out to the world so right. it's, it's it's really nice to see that uh yeah all three kind of have have hit somewhat of the mark yes well clearly the production crew cast and director right came together in, in something that is magnificent, because this is what I meant when, and, and you're saying the same thing a lot more eloquently, but what I meant by the music being an unseen, powerful character, and yet it, it doesn't impose itself on us, it, it, but it, it keeps us mindful of there's something afoot. How's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a, an, Irish, um, an Irish short story writer called John McGarren, and he's a lovely quote about writing. He said that the best of writing, it should be, it should be present everywhere. Yes. But visible nowhere. Nowhere, exactly. That's exactly yeah. it. And yeah. that's what yeah. has happened yeah. here. As you say, the, the tempo is not what we expect when we, from American thrillers, let's put it that way. Yes. You know, you know what I mean? It is a psychological thriller. We agree absolutely on that, but it isn't um it isn't predictable. It's um more questions than answers and and lots of and lots of yeah. ways of keeping us in Yeah. Indeed, and I think anyone as well in terms of the the um nods and the references, the artistic references. I mean, there's some really um special like there's a, a you know homages or yes. nods to for example Edward Hopper's Nighthawks that yes. beautiful wonderful diner that uh, painting um, there's a kind of a nod to that and yes. so there's all these artistic references that really stylize the film so I think anyone who has any interest in 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 art will also appreciate it for for that reason on top of of the narrative um, also yes. but. Yes, and all that wonderful acting. Well, we're speaking to one of the big question marks of a film that presents itself as begging the question and and leaving it to us to find our own answers. We're speaking to Danal O'Healy, and he plays, I believe, one of the biggest question marks in this questioning film, written and directed by Nathan Catucci. It, will have its world premiere at the CineQuest Film Festival in San Jose, California on Saturday, March 9th, 2019. And we're going to take a short break and be back to talk more about this wonderful film, Impossible Monsters. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Occasionally, we need a break from serious films and life's severities. But even in search of a good laugh, we like to find a comedy which retains some respect for our intelligence. Cedar Rapids is a sweet film. Ed Helms from TV's The Office plays innocent and sheltered novice insurance agent Tim Lippy. Following an event that takes his esteemed mentor out of the picture, Tim is tapped to represent the firm at the regional insurance conference located in that den of iniquity, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. The goal is to win the annual two-diamond prize awarded to the agency exhibiting the highest moral standards. Before departure, Tim is warned to stay away from all things evil, especially his competitor, Dean Ziegler. And once we meet Ziegler, played by John C. Riley, we begin to realize this is a special little film. Yes, Ziegler's loud, vulgar, and outwardly immoral, but he is also sweet and vulnerable. We are not headed for cliché here. 
innocence exposed to temptation, great comedy ensues. The writers of Cedar Rapids clearly decided to respect the intelligence of their audiences. They have presented us here with the gift of escape, providing ample laughter while engaging our hearts. And we don't even have to turn off our minds. Indie Film Minute. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk News Radio Program. My guest today is actor Donal O'Healy. We've been discussing how the music and the art, and as well as the characters and the way Nate has directed this, constantly help us in the journey. It guides us, but it doesn't tell us what to think. As a matter of fact, it leaves us with a bunch of questions. Having said all that, let's get back to what I've already described, Donal's uh, character Otis, as one of the biggest question marks in this film, Impossible Monsters, which makes its world premiere at the Cinequest Film Festival in, in San Jose, California, on Saturday, March 9th. So, Donal, Otis is, has an art agent, or an angel, really, too, Jeff, uh, played by... Rajiv Varma, and his character, Jeff, the, is an old friend of a New York University psychology professor, Dr. Rich, who's played by, by the way, Tony Award nominee Santino Fantana. The professor needs candidates for his sleep study, which he hopes will secure him a lucrative grant. Which reminds me of a line of yours. Otis says something about, we're all here just to turn our talent into cash. Mm. Yeah, I think that's it was, right. Yes, and, and Nate tells me that one was scripted, <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it just as much. Um, <laughs> but initially, your character Otis resists any um, being involved in any kind of potential sleep aid study. I think you say something like, "My life is for me and me only." As you have described, Otis. Is there a deeper story behind that line? Yeah, I think certainly there is a hesitancy for any type of reflection. Um, for Otis, he's not someone who wants to discuss his past uh, with a therapist or with a group mm -hmm. or with anyone, in fact. Uh, so there's huge skepticism um, on his side with regard to going forward or doing something like this. Mm -hmm. uh, he does it begrudgingly and hesitantly and really because, you know, he, Jeff, threatens him, his agent. Uh -huh. uh, basically, if you don't do this, you're out. Yes. And so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an act of necessity. Mm -hmm. um, and little does he know, Marcello, mm -hmm. little does he know what uh what 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 he what is to be unpacked yes in this process yeah yes the subplots here are full of people the characters who uh with their own secrets within the big secret if you will the big questions they each sure. have their own storyline and relationships with one another that are secret to one degree or another from all the other characters. And so when we watch this film, Impossible Monsters, we see all these pockets. So it's not just a big question, but there are there are pockets, there are subplots, storylines where relationships and communications are also secrets within the secret. I think he slips when he, in my opinion, confesses that he he feels like he's awake, but he insists he's not because he's suddenly admitting to someone else he is conscious of his nightmares. And <clears throat> does he trip himself up, and that's why he comes back with a uh, feel like I'm awake, but I'm really not? Yeah, I think anytime you know the trick with a character is you're always trying to decipher when a character is telling the truth mm. and you know what's beneath those lines and so if uh, in terms of the playing of it and how it's received it's too you know you could be playing one thing but it could be received another way but yes. for that line in particular I think he's trying to suss um, Dr. Rich out I, initially I think he's trying to manipulate this situation as yes. he's done with 
every other situation that he's become a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you're right, in fact, as the study progresses, I think things do come to the surface. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that he needs and does process uh, traumas from the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for him, it's, it's really an arc of liberation. Uh, to the to the end of the there's a, a, a cathartic that happens to Otis yes uh, that towards the end of of, of, of the movie uh, we we see a different side to him a much mm-hmm. lighter there's there's a, a sense of levity to him uh, <laughs> that is very different from, from from the start but everyone is making a journey yeah some are in parallelism some in conflict etc but it seems to me Otis is making one of the greater journeys in the film. And yet, when we're with someone else, characters who, and why they're sitting in that room with the professor, each has their own reason. But Otis's journey is filled with hints of something darker, deeper, not necessarily darker than some of the others that are hinted at, but his gets developed a bit more. All that to ask, what he dreams about, the condition of the woman in the dream leads him to say, to define a relationship as a competition of power between two people? What do you think? Yeah, these are thought through lines. Uh, these are words that come from a man who is, uh, has been deeply affected as a human being. And I think as a result, his ability to be empathetic, his ability to feel and to connect um, have all been impaired by his life experience. Mm -hmm. And so to him, life has been a competition. To him, relationships are competitions. And so I think that that callousness, perhaps, for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. uh, is, is what he is feeling uh, initially when 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 he's describing all this to dr rich you know he's he's numb and yeah that's 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 how he starts out and so in a sense the film is a thawing out um and of course the the problem is is the way that otis decides uh, to thaw out uh, happens to be somewhat questionable yeah i think that's (laughs) that's (laughs) That's where it gets interesting. And there's also a wonderful conversation going on in the narrative between dreams and reality. Mm-hmm. And and time is such a fascinating thing to play with in narrative. Um, and I think as an actor, certainly that's something that uh, it was very appealing. You know, there's a lot of flashbacks, or there are certainly some flashbacks in the film, but they're so stylized. And yet, sometimes it's difficult to decipher well is that is it a dream or mm-hmm. is this a flashback or is this and and that ambiguity is such a blessing i think yes oh yes it, 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 yeah um and i just really think it adds a lot uh, to the to the trajectory of the story and also in the creation of of the world uh, where impossible monsters where these people live mm-hmm. um I, I so I, I yeah I think it's a conversation that's it's always an interesting one to explore on screen and I and I think Nate did a really wonderful job um, yes at, at... and and you know it is as you say it is it, it's not just that the the dream world whether they're nightmares or daydreams or whatever they do travel in parallel times but they also crisscross and intermingle in ways that are. Uh, as you say, ambiguity. They they leave us wondering, because I think that was what Nate was after, this wondering of where are we exactly at any given point? And, and that feeds the entire narrative. Uh, and not that we are distracted by any means, although I did say to Nate, there's very little, if any, comic relief in this film, uh, but the relief comes in some cold, gritty reality, cold water in our face periodically when we do realize, oh, this is really happening, we're not dreaming, maybe. What are your thoughts? <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, yeah. And it's an interesting thing, dreams, you know, because yes. as, soon as, as soon as you doubt a dream, that's the moment you wake up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's that doubt that gets you out of the dream. And I think there are points in the film, like you said, where it's a 
a splash of water or, or you know that you get snapped into saying okay well this is this is not reality mm. you know this is not the reality of the story mm-hmm. uh yeah these these are always uh these are always blessings you know it's these little surprises these yes. little nuggets yes. are what keep us interested exactly I, I do want to mention at least one character because extremely well played who had a little moment with Dr. Rich about how people perceive her and her response was she wasn't at all confused about how people perceived her. They perceive her as desirable. Yet she's there because she's experiencing a, a, what is a real condition in reality, sleep paralysis. How does your character, the artist Otis, perceive this sultry character and and for that matter how does he want others to perceive him Mm. or does he prefer to be the mystery yeah well i I guess first off just i think devika did such an amazing job at portraying joe and her playing over um i mean it was just so much fun really Mm. to work uh with her uh, with some of those scenes and uh the dynamic between joe and otis her character Mm -hmm. and otis uh again it's it's uh it comes back to all of those inabilities so there, i think there's an attraction there for sure but yet it's never fully realized so mm-hmm. it, we're taken right up to the edge perhaps of where this could go yes um physically or platonically but we never quite get there mm-hmm. um and I, and I think that's indicative, again, of when, you know, just talking about Otis and his arc, I think it's indicative of his inability really to connect at that intimate level. I think intimacy for him has been something that, you know, that he's, he's never quite experienced and terrified him. So, uh, so yeah, there's, there's, there's an excitement and a thread of mystique and a potentiality to their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, and this is weaved throughout the story. Uh, but I, I, I think, uh, yeah, where the different apexes of it, uh, are, are, are played very well. And then whether or not they're realized, well, I, I don't want to say too much for I those know. who haven't seen it, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> yes, well, I'll, we I'll, won't, uh, we well, won't give the game away. Just that's yet. right. Let me let me ask you a question then about you personally, the actor. Donato. Sure. Have you ever experienced how dreams at night bleed into our daydreams in the daytime, into our thoughts, just pop into our head, or something reminds us? And how and if you've experienced things like that, how did that? impact on your interpretation of Otis? Yeah, that's a great question, Marcello. Um, I've always been interested in dreams, uh, and I've always been quite a vivid dreamer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes so much so, I'd have experienced dreams, and it might take me 10 minutes when I wake up in the morning to realize that that was a dream, you Mm -hmm. know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. real. And so... uh, and so reality, in quotation marks, uh, are, are is something that I'm. Yeah, it's something I've always. Uh, time, reality, you know, uh, dreams—they're so connected, uh, and and all stand on their own in the sense that for me as a person, uh, I know what it's like to be so deep in dream that when you come out of it, you still feel like you're in it. Yeah. And I guess that that was particularly useful. Um, in my approach with Otis, because in a way, I think he's trapped in this liminal dream state wherein he's genuinely trying to figure out, and is this real or is this my dream? And how can I tell the difference? Yes. Uh, and so I think that's one of the questions that drive him. And a lot of his actions that take place in this story come from that place of trying to establish mm-hmm. well, what's true and what's false and of course that's the great you know it's the, one of the great eternal questions you know uh, so so uh, so yeah certainly my own experience played into the playing of, of, of Otis mm-hmm. and uh, I learned a lot from him too as, I, yes. as one always does it's, mm-hmm. it's always uh, you always leave with more than you came that's with you know right. you learn I think that's the beauty about this work is that you get to go on these adventures with 
your imagination and uh, and also your life experience and uh, that relationship between an actor and his imagination I think it's a sacred or her imagination it's a, it's a sacred thing and I mm-hmm. think uh, once uh, provided that that's being nourished and expanded um, yeah the work continues to be fresh it's, yes. it's that that's the relationship I think that's necessary to foster as an artist and uh, as, as someone who's in the game of expressing so the game of expressing that is such an incredibly high note and tremendous interpretation for us to end on I think this has been an incredible beautiful exchange today and and all of your sharing Danal O'Healy your sharing your your view of acting of filmmaking of internalizing and sharing it's just you are so you are as deep and as and as wide as in, as in expressive as your character at the very least how's that thank you Marcello I'll take that yeah, I, I mean it. I mean every word of it. Thank well, you very much. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. It's been such a pleasure. Yes. And thank you for having me on. Same here. I, I really appreciate you. Donal O'Healy has been our guest today. He plays the artist Otis in Impossible Monsters, which was written and directed by Nathan Catucci and will make its world premiere at the CineQuest Film Festival in San Jose, California on Saturday, March 9th, 2019, Impossible Monsters. A website for Impossible Monsters is quite simple, www.impossiblemonsters.com. They're on Instagram at Impossible Monsters Movie, and of course on Facebook and Twitter. It's something you want to see. I've seen it. And Danal, uh, all I can say is thank you so very much, and I wish you all the very best. You are an incredible talent. Thank you. Thank you, Marcello. Bye now. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Getting old. There comes a time when you start to realize it's too late to regain what's lost. You feel you've become too old to be relevant. The sometimes only slightly younger, the workplace and the world in general all seem to shy away. Yet even when we acknowledge that life may never again be as it once was, or as we wanted it to be, choice remains. And there resides the potential for poignant, relevant, and deeply moving stories. I'll See You in My Dreams, starring Blythe Danner. Must we remember this wonderfully talented star of stage and screen merely as the mother of Gwyneth Paltrow? Here, Danner plays a widow and former singer facing just such a turning point. With a little help from her friends, she makes choices again. She falls in love again with Sam Elliott, no less. She begins to end her isolation and reconnect to the life around her. This is a funny and compassionate story. A story for all of us. I'll See You in My Dreams falls within the so-called silver dollar genre. Sensitive films that touch the heart of a certain generation. A generation that is still ever-growing. I'll see you in my dreams, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Trump silenced America. Next axis of evil? Silence was golden at the very mention of Trump, dripping off the lips of hypocrisy incarnate. Roger Stone's more silence of the lambs. But when Twitter stormtrooper-in-chief falls silent in the wake of discovered weaponized threat of mass domestic terrorism against anti-Trump candidates, media, and members of Congress, its silence gives consent. However, when a president dilutes American treaties, trade, allies, and we the people, silence from us won't do. Americans need a contingency plan if America is to rise above Trump, Pence manure, pizza parlor lies, and incitement to violence. Whether obstruction of justice or abuse of power, we've allowed both foreign and domestic twisting of our electoral college to seat an international threat at the helm of American power. 
So, shall we perpetuate our right-wing, red-faced global embarrassment? Be like crumb seekers, Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, puppets of puppeteers raising court gestures to Peter Principal level, thinking themselves kingmakers? Or shall we realize giving Flynn generals freedom to share nuclear secrets with Saudi Arabia is time for us to plead the 25th for Veep and 45th? In treasonous times, truth must be founded in founding principles and protected by spreading it throughout the land in safekeeping hands. For freedom and liberty are being attacked by the new Russia-Saudi-China axis of evil, possibly even aided and abetted by a presidential traitor. Together, Americans have weathered many real national emergencies. Our civil war, the Cuban Missile Crisis, 9-11, mass shootings, and now the real possibility that America's greatest threat is an administration rented by corporatism and owned by our greatest foreign enemy. With this potential cause and effect, our nation's future will be determined, at least for the foreseeable future, by those most vulnerable to social media manipulators, foreign and domestic. Regardless of personal politics, America is at a crossroads where the super-wealthy, fearful of losing international power, is clashing with the titans of liberty, justice for all, and give me your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And the choices we make now will determine what and if America is for decades. How predictable that those who deem women, people of color, and LGBTQ community second-class citizens have made America a second-class nation. Well, at least we know we have a problem, arguably created by older Caucasian men still living the Cold War, enjoying the rabid life of the military-industrial complex on steroids since Bush Cheney's Wall Street Great Recession. That said, the truth about America's national emergencies is denial of our climate change role, increasing Alzheimer's cases and opiate addiction, failure to realize what the whole world recognizes. We the people have been taken. Worse, like the former Secretary of the Interior, while excelling in increasing their personal finances, few of the Trump-Pence administration have revealed enough expertise to fulfill their obligations to us. And neither Donald Trump nor Mike Pence have the wherewithal to quicksand America into Putin's image. But they are masters in largely maintaining the wall of silence, insulating both sexual and gun violence whether from Hollywood producers, Super Bowl spousal abuse and team owners, pedophile-infected religious and sports institutions, singers, and accomplices after the fact who castrate the law instead of perpetrators in an encore rape of underage girls targeted by Trump Palm Beach neighbor Jeffrey Epstein. Listen, the New York Times, Washington Post, and MSNBC are not America's enemies. Foreign cyber invaders, silently allowed in by domestic moneyed wolves, clothed in innocent-sounding chic camouflage to fleece 99% of us, are the enemy. Consider the effect of Bank America, the Heritage Foundation, the Media Research Center, Government Accountability Institute, American Crossroads, Americans for Prosperity, the NRA, Citizens United, and Facebook have had on American culture. Possible solution starter? People residing in the nine most populated states break their silence with fellow Americans living in the other less populated 41 states. After all, hope has reared its mighty beacon in North Carolina, questioning Ninth District election, proving we can still regain the reins of self-government and reason can yet light our progression out of the ashes of America's lowest electoral experience. When we stop allowing the right to remain silent about evaluating to devalue on the basis of sex, skin color, and income, we diminish the merciless residue of the Mercer's election-stealing data. To keep Franklin's Democratic Republic, we must recapture our feel-the-fear-and-do-it-anyway selves.
for the tie that binds us together, we are all the indomitable Travis Kaufman, notorious RVG, relentless Stacey Abrams, protective investigators Rosenstein, McCabe, Mueller, our 116th House of Representatives women, and an Obama administration who, discovering Russian invasion of 2016 election, initiated a contingency plan to preserve, protect, and defend all of us. When our human decency accelerates, recaptures our torch of freedom, ends all silent consent to all forms of bigotry, we will reclaim what we've always proclaimed. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the reasonable voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. USA Denial, Gun Violence, Climate Change, and Life-Saving Medical Treatment. Until we stop yielding rational thinking to corporatism's mental programming, dismantling government to expedite nation collapsing, we will continually allow the few who choose to be blind to diminish the vision of those who in their hearts know. America's future recedes each time we elect puppets of people whose post-New Deal plan is to never bestow power in a government willing to lift corporatism's middle-class customers, working poor serfs, and discarded masses yearning to breathe free of food stamps, lead water pipes, and homelessness. Notwithstanding 20 children and 6 adults gunned down in a pre-Christmas mass shooting, ignoring never again, El Paso, Dayton, and Odessa, Texas lawmakers have now made it easier to increase our numbers. More than 2,300 people have been killed, and almost 8,400 have been wounded in mass shootings. And since 20 January 2017, more than 83 people have been killed and 512 wounded in America's AR-15 addiction. There is no America the Beautiful in a Senate Majority Leader who denies any attempt for our Senate to vote on any of the reasonable gun violence prevention laws passed by the House. No sense of a land of the free when fearing to be in public. No justice for one person one vote when betrayed by conservative citizens responsible for the integrity of their state's voting machines. No government of, by, and for the people when electing party over country. No homeland security when living in a country without a real president in a time of daily distribution of repetitious nonsense from a reality talk show host pretending to be president atop an acting administration with a supporting cast scripted by misinformation, all aided and abetted by a corporate clan's excrement on Edward R. Morrill's example. Unless we believe the globe's greatest manipulators of mega-wealth and governments are as short-sighted as a VP hiding in the wings, a Senate majority leader liberally stacking our judicial system with reactionary conservatives, and the glitter-gathering Trump family trusting they can take it all with them. Unless you believe such people care about us... Perhaps we should give some thought regarding what market manipulators of political parties plan for the rest of us, as they shore up their offshore stash, investing millions in deserting Earth for Mars, in a technological age where robots can fulfill most human activities. Most living in America are doing the best they can to keep up stay ahead, and save each other from grim reaper conservatism. But being raised to believe real men don't ask for help, hearts, hands, and minds full of NRA full constitutional love, some succumb to the mental illness of easier accessibility to inflict an American tragedy, camouflaged in hypocritical religion and fake patriotism. Liberal ideals were the foundation of America's we hold these truths to be self-evident, and historically, liberals have repeatedly restored our economy, middle class, homeland security, and justice for all, after conservatives endangered all of them. For example, Hoover Depression, reversed by FDR's New Deal, Eisenhower's Cold War, bequeathed JFK's New Frontier, Reagan's trickle-down philosophy to Clinton's surplus reality, Bush-Cheney Great Recession to Obama's economic recovery. 
Now GOP Trump leads American life with trade wars, tariffs, and, ignoring the guns of August, his neglect, incompetence, and laundered money potentially paints America's oil-slicked economy blood-red. Yet Trump Pence did not create the GOP. The GOP created them. Even before the Democratic Party produced Abigail Spanberger, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders, who wisely assessed if the environment were a bank, it would have been saved already. It was championed by Eleanor Roosevelt, whose contributions to gender and racial equality became the torch that lit America's path forward and nominated our first woman ever for the presidency of the United States. Yet we still follow those fighting the last war, building neighborhoods for pre-climate change reality and enabling conservative Republican puppets of the NRA to drown America in its own moviegoers, shoppers, and children's blood. Where will we stand at last? After Brits reject their Brexit Trump, Putin's fulfilled hopes for Americans never tiring of shooting each other, and a world fearing we might fail to eject our Russian-made court gesture. What will America be after Americans ignore the increasing numbers of farmers, cyberbullied teens, and opiate suicides? How can a home of the brave not consider the blinding and deafening maze of Trump media coverage cover for conservatives placing a higher value on Big Pharma, NRA, and the Trump Organization than on American lives? Can America truly be the land of the free if Americans don't stand between the evil of Trump's 33-day deportation notice to death and its targets for extinction? You know, with coffee chats in bookstores, libraries, and walking dogs, often strangers can reawaken our civility, heal our addiction to cell phones, and rejuvenate curiosity for more inclusive connection. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the reasonable voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.